0: Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word.
1: Good morning, Metro <clears throat> It is always a delight for Shiny, Sarala, Asher, and myself to come to come here and be with you. Um, that's not always the case. Um, you don't just visit any old church on a Sunday and feel like you belong. Um, but here, it just feels like family. It just feels like oneness. We can barely get through the door before the squeals and the, the smiles uh, meet us about two steps in, and the hugs and the joy of seeing one another and gathering around together around the gospel. You've been doing a sermon series entitled Blessings of the Gospel, and my dear, dear brother and friend Donnie graciously invited me to participate in that. And when he did so, he gave me three tasks. The first thing he said was, Brother, Pick a blessing of the gospel, which is very near and dear to you. There are many, but reasonable requests, I thought. Sure. Second thing he tasked me with was he said, Now, select a scripture passage, a passage in the Bible that unpacks that blessing. So far we're tracking. If I can do one, I'm pretty sure over time I can narrow down a passage, unpack it. But the third task is where he crossed the line. And you need to pray for your pastor. He's, he needs to be, improve in his culturally contextual weakness. Because his third task was this. He said to an Indian, he said, now, create a two-word title for your sermon. <laughs> Word limitations and time limitations to an Indian is utter, utter nonsense. It's ridiculous. You don't tell any... Unless, and of course, you guys have the one Indian where if you can get one word out of Shaji, you need to bless the name of the Lord because it's a miracle. And he ain't even denying it. He's nodding in the back. The one Indian among a billion plus of us, and he's here. But the rest of us, we don't roll that way. Two words, 40 minutes, Ha! So I did what any desperate Indian brother who wants to obey and uh, submit to the leaders did. And I went to cafe.metropress.org, and I straight up snuffed a two-word title from the blogs. So I want to commend to you for your bathroom reading or however you choose to enjoy Metropress blogs, uh, a series of blogs in cafe.metropress.org that has a subtitle alternate community. I certainly learned a lot from it, and I hope you'll hear some echoes today. Recently, a prominent religious figure gave a global address. He had a global audience captive listening to what he was going to say. And among the many things he said, he used a phrase that began, as soon as he used it, it started to get tweeted and retweeted around the world. The phrase he used was the globalization of indifference. The globalization of indifference. What he was saying is this. We as people aren't really concerned about anything unless it concerns us. That's true. And I would suggest, yeah, that's worth tweeting and retweeting. And the blessing of the gospel that I want to share with you today that is near and dear to my heart speaks directly to that issue. That terminal issue that this religious leader to a global audience said is becoming globalized indifference. That blessing is community. The body of Christ, His children, The body of Christ of which he is the head. The gospel says the body of Christ is a new community. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, called the new community, listen to this, an alternate city within a city. And so Christians are. The body of Christ is an alternate community. Founded on a relationship with God made possible by the good news. And I'm going to follow my brother Sherwin's model. I already tried to dress like Sherwin, who tried to dress like Donnie. (laughs) I don't roll this way, but we're following after our leader. And like Sherwin, who followed Donnie, you got three points coming up. This passage shows us three things about God's alternate community. Number one, the gospel establishes the melody of the alternate community. Number two, the gospel teaches us the harmony of the alternate community. And number three, the gospel is the song of the alternate community. Okay, so three points. Melody, harmony, and the song. First the melody. I want you to first remember this when we look at this passage which which uh, I'm about to read it's just a portion of a letter. It's just a portion of one entire letter. We're reading someone else's mail and it's written by a man the apostle Paul who is writing from prison. He is in prison at the time of this letter, waiting for a verdict to come down that could very well lead to his demise. We're not talking parole. We're talking a dead man writing. And he's writing this letter to a church he planted, to people he loves, with full knowledge that the persecution that landed him in jail is coming the Philippians' way. And so, like a good pastor, in writing this letter, he's preemptively counseling the ones he loves. And so you will notice, as Sherwin preached so wonderfully, that strong tone in this entire letter of joy. And I love how Sherwin said, joy is most radiant when life is most darkest. Paul is telling the people he loves that a blessing of the gospel is this. There's a joy that prevails against trials. But here in this text, in this portion, Paul does something interesting. He addresses something that is not about harm coming from the outside. He appeals to the people he loves to be unified. He appeals to their unity. And it's interesting because taken as a whole in the letter to the Philippians, it really seems like disunity is not a chronic problem that they have. It really seems like Paul and the church of Philippi were really quite fond of one another. In fact, the church sends Paul a gift while he's in prison so that the ministry can go on. Disunity doesn't seem to be a problem. They seem to be ministry partners together working towards the same goal. But then then why, in the middle of this letter, does Paul appeal to this church, appeal to their unity, and appeal for unity? Why does he, in verse 2, use these adjectives, have the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord and have one mind. Why use those adjectives? Well, it's because before that leader tweeted the globalization, before that leader uttered those words, the globalization of indifference, the scriptures tell us about reality, what life is like in a broken world. And Paul knew the human condition enough to know that his friends, the people he loves, they need an encouraging reminder from time to time. That's why this series is happening, folks. It's because the scriptures tell us from Old Testament and New Testament, you're going to forget. Read Deuteronomy. When you forget, not if you forget, when you forget, remember. Remember. Read Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. When you've wandered away, return back to the ancient paths and walk in them. Paul knew, Paul knew and, know, and, and he tells us now this truth. Disunity is never really that far off. Sin is always crouching at the door. And Paul's pastoral heart in this segment of the letter isn't so much concerned about the harm coming from the outside. His concern is that tendency for man's flesh to rise up, that tendency for disunity. And in fact, he writes something very interesting. In verse 2, he says, Complete my joy. He says, You know what's going to make my prevailing joy complete? Your unity. Your oneness. That's going to take my prevailing joy against this almost hopeless situation of imprisonment that will likely lead to my death. That will take the joy I'm experiencing to the next level of completion. Your unity. Your oneness. So. He writes to them, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being one. What's he doing? Paul is establishing the baseline melody that is to be learned and sung by the body of Christ. And it's interesting how he does it. He's not taking a survey. He's not saying, all right, with every head bow, every eye closed, just raise your hand if you've experienced any encouragement. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Only some old heads know that movie, right? You need to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off to get the joke. He's not taking a survey. He's not saying, is there anyone here? No. By way of almost rhetorical questions, he's establishing the baseline of the melody. He's not saying the melody is this. This is the melody that we're all supposed to know and sing. Be like Jesus. Just be like Jesus. No, that's not the melody. Neither is the melody, look, you don't want to be, you don't want to be seen as being, you know, having disunity. You don't want to be like the Congress of our current country that gets deadlocked in issues and can't push anything through. You don't want to be like that. That's not the melody either. The appeal to not appear to be disunified is not the melody either. Because then all that's happening is your unity is based on what you don't want to become rather than who you are. This is what Paul's saying. He is teaching us to remember the note of grace that we all first began with. Remember the melody we all first learned when at first we believed. He is saying, look, you don't become one. This is the good news. The melody is you're not trying to become one the melody of the gospel is you are one because and only because of what Christ did for sinners you are right here, right now in this room, one that's the melody the melody begins with that note of grace in us that John Pack preached two Sundays ago Lord Forgive me, the sinner. And the blessing of the new community, the alternate community, is we come together and corporately we say, Lord, forgive us, because we are not like you. Our oneness is found in this. The encouragement, the comfort, the fellowship, the tenderness, the compassion you have experienced is because and only because of the necessity and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and what he did. So understand that when we gather together, we're not trying to create a non-existing melody. We're not trying to build unity. In Christ, we are one. And ongoing oneness, it flows from not a posture of defense and fear. Oh, I don't want to cause problems. I don't want us to be disunified. It, doesn't come. it comes from a daring, living confidence in God's grace. And this alternate community founded on the grace of God is the love offensive Against a globalization of indifference. And the question on the table is if Paul is asking any question that actually requires an answer, he's asking this Do you believe this? Do you believe that we are one? Last week, um, Donnie said at the close of his sermon, he said, You know, if we try, if we come together, and we're trying to become one we're trying to believe that we're one and we don't believe. It's so true. Grasping the reality that Christ paid a high cost to make us one is the business of believing the gospel. Believing that is the business of believing the gospel. You don't try to make it happen By faith alone you believe That what he did was absolutely necessary And totally sufficient Do you believe that we are already one? Do you believe that the accent is on the note of grace in our lives? If you do, then you know the melody And we know the melody And we know that the melody is this Ready? Ready? It's actually part of a hymn that someone wrote. The melody is this right here, right now, you and I, by faith, are dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That is incredibly good news for a man. Who has a tendency to stay up real late on the Saturday before having to preach at Petro, at Metro, making sure Petro, Metro, making sure that those three points are there, making sure that I've ironed this real well and that they'll like me and that everything is going to come out well, and that someone somewhere will say something kind about what I had to say, and I'll humbly say, "Oh no, 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 it was all God." But inside, I'll say, thank you, Jesus. That man, that man right now is dressed in his righteousness alone with you. How else can you explain that we would hang out together? There's enough diversity in this room on a Sunday, which is the most segregated day of the week, How else could you get a bunch of us together if we didn't know and believe the melody that Christ Jesus died for sinners, of whom I am the chief? That's the baseline melody. But here's the the wonderful thing if you've got the right conductor, a conductor knows how to take a melody and do something with it even better. A conductor knows how to look at a room filled with different instruments, different voices, and lead them to take the notes of grace with its nuances and make it come together and soar to chart-topping heights. And in our case, our conductor is our, the head of the body, who is Jesus Christ. And he says, Now that you know the melody, let me speak to you about how oneness really happens. I can take different notes of grace in life, make it come together, and soar into the stratosphere, the kind of song with harmony that makes the world listen, and sometimes when it's attractive enough, people sing along. Our God is in the business of helping us understand that oneness is not sameness. It is not sameness. Sameness results usually in dissonance. All right? Our ears are made to hear sympathetic vibrations of notes. So when two notes come together, we know when it sounds good, when it sounds not so good. This morning, you must have, if you didn't, if you took a second to listen, you would have heard notes coming together from the stage. It sounded so good. Now, if you had stood next to Danny Cho and I when we were singing, you might have heard dissonance. You might have heard something that made you go, "What, what are they singing? Is that even a song? You see, because you can't just take any random notes, put them together, and you have harmony. It doesn't work that way. Harmony is the result of thoughtful, intentional attempts to practice joining our notes together, joining our voices, our instruments together, so that through work, through effort, it becomes a beautiful sound. It becomes a soaring harmony. And Paul writes in this letter, there's two things that kind of disrupt harmony. There's two things that will disrupt oneness. There's two things that keep the body of Christ at sameness rather than oneness. Those two things are, he writes, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Vain conceit is what it says in some other versions. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Selfish ambition and vain conceit disrupts harmony, disrupts unity, and it's never that far off. It's never that far off. Selfish ambition and vain conceit, it's really simple. They're two sides of the same coin. Okay, when it's selfish ambition, what are you doing? You're holding someone down. When it's vain conceit, what are you doing? You're lifting me, myself, well, I'm lifting me, myself, and I up. Just the three of us, nobody else. Selfish ambition, holding people down, vain conceit, lifting myself up. But he says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I commend to you John Pack's preaching of radical humility as a blessing of the gospel from two weeks ago as he unpacks that idea of humility. Humility is difficult. Oneness is difficult. Oneness is practically impossible. In the world, you try to practice sameness, and sameness is unity with the guise of tolerance. It's, all right, I'll hang out with you. I'll keep tolerating you. And you'll even tolerate just the extra mile, but then there comes a line where tolerance goes into intolerance, and now, you, now, now you've gone too far. That's sameness. That's easy. You just tolerate, tolerate, tolerate until you can't, and gone. Cut off. Oneness is difficult. Oneness is embracing. Oneness requires humility, and humility is immensely difficult. It's difficult to open up my heart in such a way that I let you in. Why? Because I've guarded my heart. I've taken great pains to hide and Keep secret the dark things about the mess that my life is. Even from myself, I try to pretend that it's not there. Even the doubts I have about God and the things that are in the scriptures about God, I try to pretend like it's not there. I do my best to put no trespassing signs around my heart. Oneness says, in humility, start taking those signs down. This was true of my marriage I had done a great job of making sure that there were some angry dogs right around those signs that said, don't come too close. When I proposed to Shiny, it wasn't very romantic. I would never, and that's why I never tell anyone how I did it. Because for me, I was, in my mind, I was signing my death warrant. Not because she was some cruel, I mean, she was hot. So I already knew I was getting the best part of the deal. But, For me, the accent was, I'm going to let you get to know me. And for, at that time, 29 years, I have never let anyone get to know me. I barely am okay with Jesus knowing me, and that's because of what he did for me. Trusting and believing that he still actually not only loves me, but he even likes me. Humans, I basically was saying, Shine, here's one sign. Only one. Narrow is the road. You and only you may enter and you must remember that you are called to oneness. So we're going to learn my melody and we're going to sing. That's not the way it works. My wife is, was, by the grace of God, she no longer is. She's, a, she's an older brother that's repenting day by day. One whose works of righteousness was what gave her her worth. And she, in many ways, was putting God in her debt. I have done these things for you, and you owe me. And so God gives her me. And it totally throws that whole model upside down. I thought I did I took this guy to pre-engagement counseling, pre-marital counseling, and now we need post-marital counseling? This was not the way it was supposed to go. I, on the other hand... And this weird mix of the older and the younger brother, this schizophrenic mix of the guy on the outside who's the older brother, on the inside, totally misaligned. A younger brother bankrupting himself, prostituting himself, giving himself to every desire of the flesh. What happens when you put two people like that together? Unless there's humility, it won't be oneness. And that's why counseling for me in the early days felt like death. It felt like death. Here's one thing, and Shiny got to know me. I was like, I put put a ring on it, okay? I put a ring on it, so now by law you got to love me. You ain't going nowhere. But it was false advertisement. That's you, not me. But when the pastors of my church and the elders began to sit with us and talk to us about some of our issues... It felt like death. Because I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to know what my wife knows and that I am a sinner. What I found was that which felt like death was actually a resurrection. I found people who were counseling me and my wife saying, it's the same melody, folks. Lord, forgive me, the sinner. And because we're one, how do we move forward? Not try to be one, sun, lush, and shiny. You are one already because of what he's done. Now, out of that oneness, how now shall you live? And harmony starts to happen. And you can pray for us. As the days go by and the years go by, I find that our song is starting to soar. I find that verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, is happening more and more in my marriage. In the alternate community, assured of the true melody, we invite one another to listen to each other sing of the nuances of the blessings of the gospel, and we then encourage each other to live in that harmony. there are many ways in which your pastor and I are like kindred spirits. There's some things that he says to me across the table, on the phone, via texting, and I go, this is my brother from another mother. And then there are some things like this where I go, we couldn't be more different from each other. And I love when your pastor preaches the gospel. I just sit there... And I feel like he got born again, 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 and again. I was even one of his students at the pseudo-seminary that we all attended together. But you know, my favorite times with your pastor is when we sit across from each other. And we open up our lives. And I hear that he actually needs a Savior. I find myself saying, I love this guy. He needs a Savior. And it's so difficult with the people who are in ministry feeling the weight of having to be the person who already has a Savior, took care of that, done. It's so difficult. We were just recently at a counseling conference where Shiny and I were asked to consult with an Indian group of people in Philadelphia, an older generation, on how to begin counseling the Indian Christians. And Shiny and I were sharing the melody of the gospel. We shared out of our own brokenness why he is the Savior. And a priest, a priest with broken English, so much so that he said, forgive me, I have to speak in Malayalam, native accent. He said to a room of 40, 50-year-old people, he goes, you know, when I go to my congregation and I try to tell them that I need Jesus, that I'm a sinner who needs Jesus, they say, no, 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 don't say that. You cannot say that. And he put his hands up, almost tears in his eyes, saying, what do I do? I'm trying to share that I need a Savior. I'm trying to share. Hold up my arms. And they won't even let you. When my brother sits with me and says, Samhash, hold up my arms. When I say, Donnie, hold up my arms. Harmony. The melody moves in. And I say, Wow. God's grace is important in that part of Donnie's life. That's not true of me, but I'm so thankful. And I believe Donnie is horrified by some of the places of grace that are touched down in my life, but he rejoices. And I see him say, "What a great God! How else could that happen?" But the melody leads to the harmony. Here's another illustration of how this is happening in my family through conversations. Because you got to talk. You got to open your mouth and communicate with people. My daughter, Sarah and I, we recently had a data daughter date. Um, Asher and his mom had to go to a play group date, you know, a homeschooling group. There was a play date or a birthday, something. And so it left me and my girl. And, you know, Shiny's my queen. Sarah is my princess. And we were just in this Minivan driving all over Philadelphia, having a great time. I'm doting on her, everything, and she just starts talking. At one point, from the back, she goes, "Dada, did you know that peregrine falcons who live in blah 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 blah? My now, contextually, let me give you some context. My daughter is an animal lover to an uncomfortable extent for me. <laughs> I. Keep visualizing her becoming one of those weird animal activists. And I, I no, listen. If you're an animal activist, God bless you. I, I mean it. You know, we 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 listen to the notes of grace in one another. I honor that. But I got to tell you, people are more important than animals. Okay. And this is what I'm always thinking. When my daughter starts telling me the genus species of an animal at age seven, I'm thinking, Good Lord. What, what, this is, I, Lord, please don't turn her into one of these PETA activists that, you know, go naked for a commercial to show that they're against fur or whatever. Please don't end up there. Please. That's what's happening in my heart. So she's talking to me, and I'm like, oh. So I look at her, and she's delighted, telling me about the genus species of Paragon fal- Who even knew there's a Paragon falcon? She's telling me this, and I go, hey, lol, how about, I don't know, humans? You got anything about Humans. How about people? Do you like people? Tell me something about people. I'm doing it that way. As passionate as I am now, I'm like, if someone driving by had seen me, they see say the hand's raging. I'm like, how about people? Your mom and dad always tell you, love people. How about people? And I see my daughter do this. <laughs> Look out the window. And I'm seeing it as I'm passionately waving my hands in the air. And I go, oh my gosh, I've lost her. I've totally lost her. And in that moment, it took seconds, but that's the way the spirit works. He reminded me of the melody. And so I said to her what I had to do. I humbled myself. It's not always easy to humble yourself with your kids. But I said, Lal, Dada is such a jerk. I'm a big jerk, and I'm so sorry that I interrupted you. Can we try again? Let's start over. You tell me about the Peregrine Falcon, and let's try and do this again. So she's like, okay, Dada, did you know about the Peregrine Falcon? she my daughter's a legalist <laughs> did you know about the and so I go no I didn't know about the peregrine falcon I didn't even know there was a peregrine falcon I thought they were all falcons tell me about it and we talk and we talk and we talk and I said oh lal, you know one day I hope I get to sit with you and Asher and learn about falcons and other animals together and then my daughter says this listen she goes well that's what I wanted to tell you dada Mama, Asher, and I, we were at the zoo, and we saw the peregrine falcon. And I just wanted you to be part of it. I wanted you to be part of it, and that's why I'm telling you this. And I thought, she has an understanding of harmony more so than I you see, the melody, if you stop short at the sin, you miss the Savior. And what I was doing in trying to teach, listen, people are more important. That was a right thing. Okay, they are. They, they are. Love one another. Even your enemies, it's important. But there is such a thing as saying the right thing at the right time And there is such a thing for parents and not just parents but even in this body that when a time for correction comes and it does remember the melody. The melody leads to a savior. My attempt to eliminate the sin is not enough. My attempt to eliminate the sin results in disunity. Half a um, three-quarters of my family being at the zoo and me being over here. What I would do well and what we would do well to each other is hold out the Savior first. That's the melody. In that moment, what I needed to do, what we need to do with one another is remind each other that the story is true, that he is the very present help in times of trouble. He is. And when we land there, organic unity, oneness happens. It's difficult, but not impossible, because this passage concludes with what many believe is a beautiful soaring hymn that the early church used to sing. It's a song about how God exalted Jesus from dying a sinner's death. To an eternal position of rule and authority over all creation. Folks, the reason I picked this passage, when Donnie said, carte blanche, pick one. This is the passage I land at whenever I'm talking to anyone about the gospel. This and Hebrews 12:1 and 2. Naturally, instinctively, whether it's a religious person, an ex-religious person, or an irreligious person, when I want to explain the gospel. I go to this hymn, verses 5 to 11. Because the way Paul writes this letter to people is not abstract to me. It is not a series of propositions and doctrine and theology that never touch the ground, that never make the rubber meet the road. It is dirt under your fingernails, blood, sweat, and tears, Christianity. And sometimes I need to speak that to myself. There are, tomorrow morning is going to be a great example of this. It always happens. Every Monday morning I wake up and I'm going like David, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? And he in his grace reminds me of the melody and begins to lift my head up for an eight-hour day at work with inanimate objects called computers. It's also what I sing to my family and what we sing together. It's also what I hold out to people who want to have nothing to do with the church. I lead with my brokenness and the Savior who is sufficient to cover it. And I find that broken people in a world of indifference, when they see brokenness, and they see a Savior, it attracts them. I see people say, that's what I want. I want atonement. I want redemption. And you're telling me, you're broken like me, and the only difference is, by faith, you have believed that all he did was more than enough. So, The question is this, because we have an incredible way of taking even a blessing and making it become a curse. If you and I don't remember the melody, right, and if we don't encourage the harmony, the nuances of the gospel in each person's life to sing that together, and if we don't have a song to sing about, then what will happen is one of two things. A, you're going to underestimate the alternate community. And that means you're going to move towards selfish ambition and vain conceit. You're going to do like my BC days, put no trespassing signs around yourself and come to church and try to be one. We've already said that if you're trying to be one, you don't believe because he paid a high cost to make us one now. Or B... You'll overestimate community. Community, even the alternate community, can become how you gain your worth. Community, even the alternate community, can do this dangerous thing of functioning as Christ in your life instead of demonstrating Christ. And when anything, including alternate community, functions as Christ, it's an idol. And you need to be careful. So how do you find, Landon, you're basically saying, you've, you've, you've stacked the deck here. You're saying it's a blessing, but you're saying you can underestimate it or overestimate it. So what? How do we Let the blessing of an alternate community lead us to oneness in such a way that it pulverizes the globalization of indifference, goes straight to the gates of hell, blows past the gates of hell, and expands the alternate community so that the world would know. And the world would sing in perfect harmony how? Well, there's two ways. One, Reverend Hager is about to lead us in a sacrament that for centuries Christians have been practicing. That Jesus himself instituted and said these words, do this in remembrance of me. We're going to do that in a moment. But the other way to do it is what I'm about to do. And I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand now and I'm going to read for you the song of the gospel. It's verses 5 to 11, my go-to passage. Let it sing over you. If you're here and it's not your melody, in your heart say, Lord, make it my melody. If you're here and it's your melody and you're saying... I can't believe I'm one. Lord, make me one with my brothers and sisters. Let this song move into your heart and ask God for the courage to move towards people in this body who are utterly unlike you. A conscious decision to go towards a different instrument and listen for the notes of grace. Here's the song. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pray with me.